Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, November 2nd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor calls a special session of the legislature with his sights on a massive economic development project. Then communities along the Mississippi River continue to feel the pain of sustained drought. Plus, this week's History is Lunch examines the stories behind some of the unidentified black bodies found during Freedom Summer in 1964. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi lawmakers are in Jackson today to participate in a special session. They're expected to pass what could be the state's largest economic development package. Yesterday, during a press conference, Governor Tate Reeves laid out what the investment could mean for the state. I'm extremely proud of the work of our team. Um, it's a historic economic development deal for the great state of Mississippi. Altogether, it represents the single largest corporate capital investment in our state's history. In fact, it's almost twice as large as the next closest. This $2.5 billion capital investment will mean 1,000 new jobs to the Golden Triangle area of our state that offer an average salary of $93,000 per job. And let me say this again, and let me be clear about how big this project is. It's nearly double the previous largest corporate investment ever made into the state of Mississippi, and it's creating high-quality jobs that will pay more than double our state's current average salary. One of my top priorities will continue to be increasing the per capita wages of Mississippians. This deal will help accomplish this mission and will be a major win when it comes to creating meaningful careers for our residents. This economic development project also carries a price tag for taxpayers. The package includes nearly $250 million in incentives from the state. The state of Mississippi is going to, um, should the legislature agree, uh, is going to uh, provide approximately $155 million um, in in direct contributions uh, for this project. Um, What you'll also see in addition to that is um, the state's going to agree to spend uh, approximately $25 million on roads in and around the site. Uh, The state is also going to, I'm hopeful uh, in working with the legislature, uh, agree to um, work with the locals. The locals own about half the property now. They're going to acquire the other half, um, and the state's going to um, help finance that particular piece of the deal. Uh, And then the state's going to provide some income tax rebates, uh, as is um, consistent with most of these large major economic impact deals. So not only is this deal, uh, to sum it up, not only is this deal twice as large as anything we've ever seen on a per per wage basis, uh, this deal is also going to be 
um, about uh, half as expensive as, as what the state has put up in other similar deals. Lawmakers say, or rather Reeves says, details about the company are barred under non-disclosure agreements. Legislators may have second-hand knowledge of the company's identity, but it's not included in the negotiations today. When lawmakers meet, it won't be without a level of skepticism over the project. House Minority Leader Robert Johnson, a Democrat from Natchez, tells our Kobe Vance other priorities are being overlooked. Well, anytime you can create jobs, especially on the level, I don't know any details about it, but on the level that the governor describes, a thousand jobs at average salary at $93,000 a year, anytime you have an opportunity to do that, yes, it's a great use of the state resources. However, uh, if I may proceed, I think it's, it's, it's done in lieu of looking at uh, things that we should have been working on right now. I think, you know, we, we can't just jump on board whenever we want to, uh, give a tax uh, incentive for somebody to come in and create jobs. When we got uh, hospitals about to close, I, I understand the emergency room in South Hines County at a major hospital, Merritt Hospital, is shutting down. And it's all due to the fact that we won't expand Medicaid. And this is not a political issue. This is a survival of our health care infrastructure issue. And, and you, it's hard for me to get extremely excited about a 1,000 jobs in one corner of the state when if you expanded Medicaid, you could create 9,000 new jobs at $6,000 a year that would go all over the state. You could retain nurses, you could hire doctors, and you could keep hospital doors open. So I don't know, this is a, you know, this this is, a, I'm, I'm happy for the people in Northeast Mississippi, but we continue not to do any economic development along the river or in Southwest Mississippi. And that just, it's disheartening and, it, and it's frustrating. Governor says he wants to try to have just a one-day legislative session or special session. Do you think that's going to be possible? I can tell you, uh, uh, the Democrats in the in the House, and I would hope even some Republicans who are also affected in the same way, are not going to go away quietly. This is not, you know, this we this is not celebrating the governor taking credit for something that he probably had nothing to do with. Uh, when he really there's something he really could do to help all the people, all of the people in the state of Mississippi. Uh, and that is uh, bring $16 billion into this state and keep our hospitals open, get health care to working people. 230,000 working people don't have health care coverage. He could do that. And this is something we should do. On top of the fact that Mississippi has a $4 billion water, wastewater infrastructure problem that we should be addressing as well. I mean, there are a number of things that we should have had special sessions about long before this that we could actually do something. And, and you talk about spending $4 billion of creating uh, opportunities to fix problems that we have. You're creating jobs. Why are we out here financing other people's business ventures when we have needs in this state that we could pay for ourselves and create jobs right here in our own state? What are your expectations for going into this uh, special session? Do you think we'll see anything um, significant coming out of this in terms of what it could mean for Mississippians? The way we do economic development in this state is done in secret, is done in quiet. They call us in. We appropriate or issue bonds of millions and sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars, and we don't know what the project is until we vote, and it's, and it's passed. And that is, that is frustrating, but the economic development experts tell us that's the way it has to be done. So do I expect anything significant? Only what that little blurb that the governor tweeted out, uh, it, it, that's all we know. Uh, and somebody, some region of the state 
is going to have a, a great economic development project, while other regions, including central and southwest and, and western Mississippi, continue to suffer under the strain of a lack of resources and lack of funding. House Republican Dana Criswell of DeSoto County has also criticized the governor's decision to call a special session for an economic development project. Criswell says, in part, the idea of paying companies to come to Mississippi has not worked, and increasing the amount of corporate welfare with the biggest economic development project in Mississippi history is not the direction in which we should continue. The session is scheduled to begin at 10 this morning. Coming up, communities along the Mississippi River continue to feel the pain of sustained drought. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Mississippi River is reaching its lowest level in more than three decades. Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland says it's the lowest he's ever seen. Strickland co-chairs the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative with Greenville Mayor Eric Simmons. Yesterday, they met virtually with officials from the Coast Guard and trade associations to discuss the economic impact the drought is having on their communities. Mayor Simmons says droughts present far-reaching consequences. Droughts are hazard multipliers. We actually dread droughts more than floods because the impacts of drought are usually longer-lasting, they affect more of the economy, and set us up for more damaging results from future storms. In Greenville, slow movement of barge freight has substantially increased transportation costs Well, we're seeing higher than ever transportation costs due to the drought. More barges are needed because we're loading uh, Greenville Port half full due to low river levels. South of Greenville now uh, have restrictions and dredging needs to be done every year or the Delta is out of business. And of course, when we're out of business in an already uh, disadvantaged struggling area, Uh, Greenville has a 38.6% poverty rate. And of course, uh, our grain elevators, our grain companies, and our truckers are all needed during this time of year uh, to take us uh, throughout the year uh, regarding uh, economic development and disposable income needed uh, that circulate in our community. So dredging on the port is vital for Greenville, Mississippi, and the Mississippi Delta. And this drought is having significant impacts. Transportation increased costs, but also significant impacts as it relates to municipal uh, sales tax revenues and incomes as well. The agriculture sector relies heavily on the river to move farm products. With the price of goods already rising, there's a concern slow barge traffic will also have an effect. Paul Rohde is with the Waterways Association. It's going to depend on how long this goes on, the severity of it, if it gets worse. Um, Right now, 
you know, barges are continuing to move and the products that are in them are continue, continuing to get to their destinations. Um, as I mentioned, you know, it, it, it's a little bit different than the supply chain issues that we've had on the coast. Um, farmers and American agriculture will be probably the most impacted directly by this. Uh, you might see increases in costs of, of, of items as a result of the increased transportation costs. Um, hopefully, we won't have issues of uh, products just not being able to get to their destinations. Um, and, and, and only talking about delays. And the one thing I'd offer is a perspective here. You know, we had the low water in 2012, and prior to that, uh, the closest we've gotten to where we are today is 1988. We're in a better shape now, in part because of the lessons learned from that 1988 event. And hopefully that will put us in better shape in the coming months as far as uh, minimizing the impacts to direct consumers. Paul Rohde is with the Waterways Association. Members of the Mississippi River Cities and Town Initiative say a lack of cruise traffic is also hurting the cities that rely on tourism. Coming up, this week's History is Lunch examines the stories behind some of the unidentified black bodies found during Freedom Summer in 1964. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. During the search for civil rights activists James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Scherner in the summer of 1964, claims of unidentified black bodies that were discovered began to circulate. Those claims eventually became part of the historical narrative. One historian notes as many as a dozen other victims were found during the search. It's a claim that caught the attention of Davis Hoke, a professor of rhetorical studies at Florida State University. His interest in understanding and substantiating this claim led him to the story of Henry D. and Charles Moore. He's presenting that research today during History is Lunch at the two Mississippi museums. He shares their story with our Michael Guidry and explains the rhetorical analysis of Freedom Summer still remains to be done. They weren't involved in the movement in any way. Um, They lived just outside of Meadville, Mississippi, uh, down in Franklin County. And the the Bunkley Clavern, so this is the, the Ku Klux Klan, uh, down in Franklin County, they, they organized in this little community called Bunkley, so that's what they called themselves, the Bunkley Clavern. They thought, again, ahead of Freedom Summer, the, the things are getting organized, things are getting really hot, and they thought this 19-year-old young man by the name of Henry D. was running guns into Franklin County from Chicago. Question is, how, how did they think that? Why did they think that? Well, Number one, he traveled to Chicago a lot, and number two, he wore a do-rag, which 
you know, to you and me sounds completely absurd, but to the Klan, this was a tip-off that, oh, this is, this is the guy who's bringing weapons ahead of Freedom Summer. And so on May 2nd, uh, Henry D. is hitchhiking back uh, just outside of Meadville, and, and, and I don't know that he and Charles Moore were even really close friends. They were both trying to get back home, and so Charles Moore uh, and Henry D are by the side of the road on route 184, uh, you know, just hitching a ride. And the, the, uh, Charles Marcus Edwards, who lived, who was part of the clan, uh, saw D by the side of the road and called his clan buddies and put whatever plan they had into action. So they picked them up and they basically forced both young men into the car. They, they knew immediately there was, there was going to be a problem. They took them to the Homochitta National Forest and proceeded to beat them uh, until they the, the only way this beating was going to stop was if they gave them the information that they wanted. So they told a lie to get the beating to stop that uh, that this black preacher uh, outside of Meadville, in fact, had was storing the guns. Well, he wasn't because there weren't any guns, but the beating stopped. Uh, and at this point, the Klan had a decision to make in terms of, well, what do we do with these two badly beaten young men? And they took them up to just south of Davis Bend uh, along the Mississippi River, uh, Parker Landing. And uh, while they're both still alive, they uh, took them out in the John boat uh, separately, tied heavy pieces of equipment to them and drowned them both. Um, that's May 2nd. Uh, their family reports them missing to the local sheriff a couple of days later. The problem is the local sheriff's in on the conspiracy. And so the, the sheriff tells them, well, I heard they went up to Louisiana to look for work with family members. Well, you know, the family had checked that out, and of course they're not there. So you don't see any, any mention of Charles Moore and Henry D. in the Franklin Advocate. Uh, in fact, I don't know that anybody in the state of Mississippi has written a word about them at this point. Um, uh, a husband and wife who are fishing um, near Parker Landing uh, in Davis Bend, uh, they, they find a cadaver snagged on a log uh, where they're fishing. And at that point, they call the locals. The locals come. And in the press, which is over by Meridian, uh, the press figures this is the big break, right? This is where we've found the missing bodies that we've been looking for of Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney. And in particular, on, on July 12th, where when the, when the first body, Charles Moore's body, and it's just a brittle cadaver at this point, it's it's not even a full cadaver. Um, the press gets really uh, excited that they found Mickey Schwerner because uh, Charles Moore has an M on his belt buckle. And so they figure that's an M for Mickey. He's also wearing jeans. He's also wearing sneakers. And so they figure, well, this is Mickey's getup, and so this 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 is Mickey Schwerner, and here comes the rest, here comes the press, here comes the FBI, and they find another body the following day, which is the body and against the torso of Henry D. And it's only because the Klan didn't strip them of their genes that we know who they are, because both men were carrying wallets, and their wallets indicated who they were. If they don't have wallets, uh, we probably never identify them. You mentioned the the sheriff being, you know, part of a potential cover up in this particular crime. And this is a hard question, maybe to answer, but based on uh, the the protection of white violence during this period of time, um, 
you know, w- what are the potential for more un- untold stories uh, as we as we look back on this period of Mississippi history? Well, there's a lot of untold stories, and and my book is looking really just at the 44 days of when uh, the FBI, the Navy, and other law enforcement was looking for Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney. Um, there's all kinds of lethal white violence on black violence uh, uh, of stories waiting to be told. Um, I don't know how many there are. I was trying to find out who those nine were, and I've yet to find them. Uh, other people have said there were eight bodies. Some said there were five bodies. Some said there's more than two dozen bodies. So uh, I just set out the historian and me wanted to know who they were. And um, and the history writing's interesting because there's a lot of people who claim that no bodies were discovered. And, and yet this claim continues to persist. In fact, it continues to grow uh, that these bodies were discovered. And so I, you know, I wanted... I was I was curious just for myself. Uh, this was not going to be a book project. I don't even know that it was going to be an article, something I was going to publish. I was just curious uh, who and, and furthermore, why if, if bodies were found, I think it's it's horrifying to think we don't yet, you know, almost 60 years later, know their names. This work is, is categorized as a rhetorical analysis. You are a professor of rhetorical studies. And what is rhetorical analysis and what makes it different than other types sure. of historical writing? Yeah, so rhetorical critics are interested in questions of persuasion and how persuasion happens in public messaging. And they're always looking to, to ask the question of what is, what is the function of certain sorts of language, what is the certain what is the what is the persuasive function of certain sorts of speech? And so, for me, the question became: as, as somebody who studies rhetoric, is why do these claims persist? What what function is being fulfilled by the constant repetition of these claims, these shocking claims about missing black bodies? And what I what I kind of ultimately figured out was these claims are sort of proxies for a different claim which is that uh, Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney so dominate the memory and the history of Freedom Summer that these claims are functioning as critiques of that dominant tradition. That's what I ultimately figured out what these claims were doing. There's certainly merit and value in remembering Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman. Is there is there the, the, the concern, the worry that it, it's at the detriment of these other untold, undiscovered stories? I think that's that's part of what I'm arguing, is that the, the rhetorical critic in me says, uh, well, okay, if you continue, so so what does the repetition of that claim do down to today? Well, it, it functions to tell me, again, me, the historian, you're, you're missing the story. The story is not Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney. We've told that story. Uh, there's really not much left to tell. And what is left to tell are these missing black bodies that we still haven't identified. And how much more of your work would, do you think you might contribute to, to trying to answer those questions? Well, that's what's bringing me to Jackson right now. Uh, the, the FBI um, allowed a bunch more papers from the Mississippi burning case to be available to the public last summer. So I want to see them. Um, I want to obviously go through them, uh, see see if there's any other possibility that I've missed something. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not I'm not by any in, in any stretch of the imagination done with uh, trying to answer that question. 
um, my my frustration is always um, where's the documentation? If if you want to go ahead and make that claim, like the historian Gerald Gill made the claim, you know, please as a historian share that information with me. Where can where can I go follow in your footsteps to 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 understand where you found it, where it was, where were they found? You know, if somebody if 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 we know there were nine, we know there weren't eight. So who has that information? Where would I find it? Davis Hoke will be presenting research from his book, Black Bodies in the River, Searching for Freedom Summer, today at noon at the two Mississippi museums. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.